Hello and welcome back to Dateline New Haven on WNHHFM, New Haven's home for community radio. Shout out to Davis Street School and Amore Sheridan School at the polling station, where in addition to greeting the huge flood of people voting, that was sarcastic, they're finding time to listen to us. Thanks for listening to us, folks. This uh, segment, we're very proud to re- uh, introduce into the WNH studio Erica Bogan, a recently retired member of the New Haven Fire Department. Thanks so much for coming in. Absolutely. How are you? Good. I'm going to ask you to get so close to the mic you can almost touch you because I didn't hear you there. Okay. Oh, good. All right. Does we it got better? Yeah, I can Erica. even hear myself now. Yep. So, Erica, you just, uh, you just retired from the New Haven Fire Department. How many years were you there? I did. Um, I actually started as a 911 dispatcher first. So between that and segueing over into fire, um, like 27 years. 27 years. So you yeah. started at 12 years old? <laughs> Hardly. I started uh, around 27, 28. So when did you graduate? I mean, when did you retire? I retired July 7th of this year. Okay. So how's that feel? Because, I mean, I imagine when you're firefighter, like, I know, living next to one, you're on these weird schedules for three days. Your life is yeah. not your own. Yeah. And then we it is. Three then... on, three off. And retirement over the last month has felt incredibly surreal. Kind of like I'm on an extended vacation and I'm just going to, like, <laughs> go back to work any second. <laughs> Oh, yeah. But what, I'm enjoying it so far. What is that like, like, you know, to have family? You have, you, I, we were told before coming to the air, you're going to be a grandmother. Congratulations. Yeah, I'm already a grandmother. Oh, you're already a grandmother. Yes. Okay. Yes. And, and, but then how do you have that kind of family life when you have these weird three-day on, three-day off? It's not the same days every week in terms of who can drive you to school, who's going to be home for dinner. Right. Um, it was difficult in the beginning um, going through the fire academy. Um, when my kids were really, really young, they were like eight, five and four. Um, and you just make adjustments. You know, you have, you know, your village that helps, you know, your mom, your grandmother, um, they take the school bus and, you know, somehow it all just, you know, gels and it works. One thing I've noticed about people like yourself in public service is that you have a mission, a purpose when you have this job. It's not punching a clock because you're giving up a lot doing besides exposing yourself to danger and fires can be scary, right? Mm-hmm. You're also saying I'm going to make a sacrifice in my life that's different from sacrifices other people made for higher purposes. That what drew you to the job? I think um, primarily what drew me to the job was that I knew I wanted to do something in the health field, but I also knew that I didn't want to be at a fixed facility. So, you know, the fire department, I was very fortunate to be able to um, be hired because it allowed me to be able to be out in the field, you know, doing, you know, medicals as an EMT and, you know, sort of, you know, fulfill both needs. Are all firefighters EMTs? Yes. Okay. All firefighters are either EMTs or one step higher as paramedics. Okay. So we're talking to Erica Bogan, who just graduated after tw- uh, more than a quarter century. I graduated. <laughs> I mean, sorry, I keep saying that. Oh, my God, retired. Back to a somewhat normal You're sending life. me back to high school. Oh, my goodness. I would never do that to anybody, especially if <laughs> you're high. But let me take you back to the beginning, Eric. Did you grow sure. up here in New Haven? I did. Um, I'm a very, very proud um, New Havener. Um, I grew up all over the place. Um, Orchard Street, graduated from Hill House High School. Um, so you did graduate. I did. <laughs> <laughs> many, many moons ago. Um, Sheffield Avenue. So, you know, greater New Haven at large, you know. Is and my did home. you grow up? I think you said health field. What did you grow up thinking you wanted to be? I think I felt like I wanted to be some sort of doctor or maybe a pediatrician when I was in my high school years. And where did that come from? I think just um, the nurturing nature that I have. 
and, you know, the need to be caring and the need to, you know, help. Mm-hmm. That was, I think that was my biggest thing. Did you know any firefighters? Back then, no. Were there many no. black female firefighters? Absolutely not. No, I think probably when I came on, there were maybe one or two. And, <clears throat> excuse me, I was fortunate enough to go through the academy um, with one. So and you I, were like the third? Maybe like four or five, mm-hmm. you know, at that point, And that was in 1997. Okay. So first you were a 911 dispatcher. When did you start doing that? I started that August of 1995. Okay. And uh, you went to that first again as a helping profession. Exactly. And that's a different kind of stress, right? That's kind of oh, knowing yeah. that these fast calls are coming and someone's life is at stake if you get the right word out to people to save their lives. And you're also kind of boxed in that room. When I've been in that room, I kind of go crazy after five minutes. I mean, with all the consoles and the calls and you get used to it. Once you get trained and you apply the training that, you know, you've been taught, then, you know, it's a breeze, but excuse me, the stressful part is, you know, just like you said, sitting there in that room and, you know, receiving the calls and, you know, some of them are frantic and, you know, really real. And you're sitting there like, okay, hurry up and get there. Hurry up and get there. Hurry up and get there. That's the stressful part. Well, how about dealing with the people who are calling who might not be in the frame of mind to give you the most efficient delivery of information? Then you have to get creative. Give me an example. Um, if somebody calls frantic, then you, you know, I use my calming voice. Like, okay, tell me what's going on. You know, I'm sending help, I, but I need to know, you know, what sort of help I need to send you. So I need you to calm down and, you know, tell me what's going on and tell me exactly where it's going on so I can get help to you as quickly as possible. Erica, do you remember any particular incident, a moment from the 911 room before you moved on? Yes. Tell me. It was cold. I want to say it was January, um, perhaps 1996. And all of a sudden we started getting like a huge influx of 911 calls. And as it turns out, there was a house fire um, out in um, Old Rockview, Brookside area in Westville. Was that the time the police, uh, the fire trucks couldn't get in? No. I don't remember oh, that. That might have been earlier. That was 92. But yeah. there were so many calls and they were so frantic. And um, as it turns out, there was a little girl that was trapped. And that is the absolute worst thing that, you know, you, you'd never want to say to, you know, the responders when, you know, they're responding is that, you know, oh, there's reports of a little girl trapped. And you why know, is it that you don't want to say that? Well, because it just makes it so real and you just, it, I never wanted to hear it when I was a firefighter and, you know, to, to let them know is, you know, great because, you know, they have a heads up, but, you know, just to hear all of the frantic calls from all of the people and, you know, the mother and, you know, she's screaming for her child. It was, it was absolutely the most gut wrenching experience, you know, on that side of New Haven fire that I have probably ever had. And what happened with that fire? What did you do? How did you roll with it? Well, we dispatched, you know, everyone, you know, per protocol. And um, I remember working with two other women and we all had children. And so it really hit home, you know, in different ways. And, you know, it was just, it was just, you know, not good. At one point we were just like sitting there, like, you know, you and I are sitting and we were just like staring at each other. And, you know, then we got reports that, okay, our guys are there. And, you know, they recovered the child, but the child didn't make it. (gasps) Mm. And, you know, we were like literally fighting tears the rest of the shift. 
I mean, even now, it's it's emotional. I've talked to non-woman workers about how they deal with events that don't end up well and how they process the trauma so they can come back in the next day and do their job. Is there anything you had to do to be able to steal yourself to return to the desk? I think that back then you didn't really think about it. Um, I think that um, there's much more, much more attention on, you know, emotional and mental health these days than there was back then. Mm -hmm. Like then it was suck it up, right? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And, you know, I've sought therapy for, you know, to process things, you know, that have happened. But back then it's like, you're just in goal mode. You know, it's like, okay, take the call, send, send the right response, you know, figure out this call, you know, send who you need to send. How about employee um, assistant programs, EAPs? I know that's sometimes a dirty word in fire and especially police <laughs> that they can't get the rank and file to go because they feel like it's showing weakness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I can't really speak to um, my time in the 911 center. But I can say that on the fire side, that is absolutely 100% true. And it's it's sad, but, you know, it is very, very true. We're talking to Erica Bogan. Until last month, a firefighter in the city of New Haven, quarter century. So when, yeah. how did you make that switch from 911 dispatcher to firefighter, and when did you do that? Okay. Well, when I first um, started, I'm in August of 95, at the 911 center, everybody there, you know, looked at me like my first week, and they were like, well, how come you just didn't, you know, try out to be a firefighter? And honestly, I didn't know, you know, I didn't know Why'd that, they that say it was possible. Because you were young or? I guess. I don't know. I just, <clears throat> I just thought to myself, I didn't know about it. I had no idea that I could do that. It just, it's just not something that, you know, was in my mind. I, did, I never thought about it. And um, so the next time um, the test came around, maybe like a year or so later, um, I took the test to see if I would get it, and I got it. Just because everyone was saying you should be a firefighter. Well, I just felt like doing nine one one because nine one one is actually um, the fire department first, mm -hmm. and then they triage and figure out you know where calls need to go. And when you're back there, it was run by the fire department. Yes, right? for police went to police yes. station. Yeah, they're um they're sort of integrated now. But um when we were in the basement, the sub basement at two hundred Orange Street, um all the nine one one calls came directly to fire. And if we had to, you know, forward them to the police, then, you know, we would do that. Um, but I think that working with the fire department in that capacity gave me sort of a bird's eye view and sort of almost like insider information. <laughs> like, okay, you know, I, I see how they work. I see what they do. Did you, you know, all like, like that. I can do that. Too? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I think I can do this. So you took a year in, you took the test. And when did you become a firefighter? I became a firefighter. April of 1998 or 99, 90, I think it was 99. And so you said you were among the first black female firefighters ever. Yes. Were there many black firefighters? At that point, not, not I don't think so. Um, I think that um, our ranks currently um, are way more diversified than they were, you know, 20, 25 years ago, for sure. And this tradition, all the municipal fire departments, the fire departments, right, of Irish and Italian-American firefighters, right, especially Irish. Am I wrong about that? No, predominantly. And and it was people who were in the in the trade and their profession, and their kids saw, got kind of like a clue how to get in by watching their parents, right? Oh, absolutely. There are so many, there are so many um, legacy kids, um, you know, kids who, you know, grew up watching their dads. Which, of course, is, on one hand, a very good thing. Yeah. Because public service is noble. You want to pass it down. Yeah, absolutely. It can create barriers when you're trying to diversify a department, correct? Because they yeah, can do better sometimes. on a test if they grow up with it, right? 
Um, I don't necessarily know if they'll do better on a test. I just think that um, when it's ingrained in you from, you know, watching your dad, mm-hmm. you know, or your mom or your grandfather or, you know, whoever, you just sort of, you know, you're like, okay, yeah, I want to do this. I really want to do this. And I think your drive and your determination is a little bit different than, you know, someone who didn't grow up that way. Three-fifths writes in. Thanks for listening, buddy. He said, that, did you have the same problem like Brenda Berkman and other women firefighters? I guess that was where my next question was going. What was it like for you? Did you have barriers or was it all, everyone was cool? I think in the beginning, um, I was tested. How were you um, tested? Give an example. Oh, just by my coworkers, um, you know, to see, they would like make jokes. What would be an example? Unless you know oh, I can't it. remember. Yeah, yeah. I can't remember. And even if I did, I probably so they would test, repeat they any test of you it. with jokes. Yeah, you know, with jokes or, you know, just asking, you know, questions, you know, about your personal life to see, you know, how much they could find out or, you know, perhaps how much they could get away with, you know, telling jokes. Or, were, you, were you usually the only person of color in the firehouse and the only woman? No. I was never, probably never the only person of color, but I'm sure that at some point I was definitely the only female on the ship. Yes. And how does it work? Do you sleep at the firehouse? Yes. Or have three days? No. No, we work three days on yeah. from 8 a.m. until 6 p.m. And we're home at night. Oh. And then we're off for three whole days, unless we take overtime. And then we're back the next set of three days overnight from 6 p.m. until 8 a.m. So that's when you sleep there? Yeah, right. And is that awkward or is that... No, actually, my my experience being a female on the job is that it's all about how you carry yourself. Mm-hmm. If you carry yourself with professionalism and, you know, and you it, it, it enables you to be able to, you know, command respect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I've had coworkers, you know, come up to me like, you know, hey, e, um, you know, I'm going to sleep, you know, in my shorts tonight. Is that OK? I'm like, sure. It's no problem. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's all in how you carry yourself. And when you have mutual respect you know, for your coworkers, you know, and you know that you're all there for a common goal, then, you know, it's basically smooth sailing. They just is it bonding when you have your meals together and stuff? Yes. Yes. Or is it even more bonding when you face danger together? Um, I think they're both very bonding, but in different ways. So can you tell me early on in a way you were tested and you got past the test and made a relationship with someone that you might not have? Ooh, we might have to come back to that. Okay. Tell me about a, a moment you'll never forget from early. First of all, which fire uh, house were you assigned to? When I graduated, I was assigned to Engine 17 on East Grand Avenue. Mm-hmm. A few years later, I was transferred to um, Engine 15 in Westville on Fountain Street. Mm-hmm. From there, I was transferred to Engine 11, Truck 2 in the Hill. From there, I was transferred to um, Engine 5 on Woodward Avenue, and I finished up my career at Engine 16 in Morse Cove. Engine? 16. So you've Morse been all Cove. over. Yeah. I, I basically did like half the world tour of the fire department. <laughs> she must have really gotten to know the city that way. Oh, yeah. Yeah, That's, absolutely. And it's interesting they didn't automatically assign you to Dixwell. Even though, like, they don't do that based on race, right? Like, send you no. to Morris Cove. That's an area... Traditionally, that was known as sort of majority white and not very tolerant of people of color, though by the time you were assigned there, demographics of that neighborhood kind of changed a lot. It, well, right now, <clears throat> I've, I've, I think I've been there for four or five years and, you know, I had, had, I had literally no problems, you know, at all with the neighborhood, no problems with shifts or, you know, anything like that. Um, but, you know, we're in different times. So we're tell me about very different a fire you'll never forget from early on that kind of forged a sense of what this profession was in you? I think my first fire 
um, was on Kenny Drive. Where is that? It's um, like off of Quinnipiac Avenue, uh-huh. like Quinnipiac Barnes, you know, over mm-hmm. here. In the Heights? Yeah. Well, no, no, it's not like on the other side of Fox and Boulevard. Oh, okay. So Quinnipiac Meadows. Yeah, yeah. Well, they used to call that something else. Yeah, somewhere somewhere in that area, um, like near Barnes, mm-hmm. Bessie Ross School or whatever school mm-hmm. that is over there. And um, yeah, that was my very first fire. And it turned out to be a basement fire. And I was literally, you know, pulling, you know, dragging the hose because I'm on the pipe, which means that I'm responsible for being the first person in and controlling, you know, the flow of water through the hose. And, you know, that you can't see anything. It's like daylight outside, but you can't see anything because the smoke is so thick and it's banking down and you like literally cannot see your hand in front of your face. So I'm on my knees, um, you know, dragging the hose, and all of a sudden my knees just dropped. And I'm holding on to the hose, and the holding on to the hose was literally the only thing that kept me from falling into this basement. Wow. So I'm like, okay, there's stairs. <laughs> okay, well, there's stairs here. <laughs> so I just ended up, like, scooting down. You know, on your butt? Yes, I scooted down the stairs on my butt, and, you know, I'm, you know, hitting the fire, and, you know, after that, when I, when I got through that, I'm like, yeah, I can do this. I can, can really, do this. really do this. <laughs> what about, was there a fire you'll never forget in addition to your first one? <clears throat> um, yes, there was one on Winthrop Avenue um, where there were um, quite a few casualties. When was that? Oh, wow. This was like years and years ago. I can't even, I couldn't even put it. Winthrop obviously goes through many, many neighborhoods. So. Winthrop, Winthrop and, um, so when Chapel. You the hill? Oh, and Chapel. Okay. Yeah, Winthrop and Chapel. There was, um, a house fire there that was like, you know, really, really devastating for the families that lived there as a multifamily. And what, what do you remember about it in terms of your role or what? You I just there's... remember that it was a multi-alarm fire. I remember, um, being assigned to, um, emergency two, um, out of the hill. And I also remember treating people as they were being pulled out. I remember, you know, going to pull a mother and a child out. And, you know, they were um, critical on scene. So what did you do for them? Oh, well, we stabilized them the best we can, you know, assess for injuries, assess for trauma, um, make sure their airway, you know, is taken care of because we were always taught the ABCs. ABCs, airway. Airway, breathing, circulation. So you make sure the blood's flowing in there. Going in and out, exactly. and then they go to the hospital. Right, immediately. <laughs> okay, what happened to those that mother and child? I don't know. That's the thing. We don't get to find out the outcomes of a, most of the people that we help. Do you think that helps or hurts for a firefighter to do a job? I think it. I think it probably hurts because when you poured your heart and soul into helping someone and you know you've given it your all, you kind of want to know how it ended. And you can, there's not a way to find out or do you have to take steps that are kind of... I think we have to We have to take steps and, you know, HIPAA is so stringent, you know, these days. The rules about privacy and exactly. medical care. Exactly. The, uh, Erica, do you know of a specific case where we did save someone's life that you'll never forget? There are so many. Okay. So many. I can't, I don't think I could point out one specifically. What's it know what's it like to know you've saved lives? It's amazing. We have a saying Baku and Nefesh and save a life in, in, it, it's in amazing. Jewish tradition sort of like the greatest thing you can do. Yeah. It's amazing to know that, you know, you're kind of, you know, sitting around the firehouse waiting for something to happen. You know, you get sent to a call 
you know, you assess what you have to do. You know, you're on goal mode. You have objectives, you know, things that you have to get done and you get them done and it ends up really, you know, affecting someone's life for the better. How about storms? We, we get the fire department is the first responder when there are major storms. We have more major storms than we used to. Early in your career, we have, if I was, if you'll agree with me, one or two major, major storms, yes. maybe every five years. Mm-hmm. We're now every year or two. Once the sandy season started, some could say climate change. I know that in the, uh, the from 2010 to 2020, we had something like five major storms that were the same as what used to be one every decade. What did that mean for you? Can you think of a storm? Did it change the way you did your job? Is there any particular storm that sticks out in your mind? I don't remember if it was Hurricane Irene or Hurricane Sandy, but it was the first one. Um, a bunch of us were hired. I think maybe 40 of us were hired extra uh, for coverage in the cove because, mm-hmm. you know, as we all know, that area is notorious for flooding because it's, right. you know, right on the water. And we were there probably more than 24 hours. Is that like 2011? Yeah, yeah, somewhere. Oh, was that when the high tide they were watching? Every week yes. And the, we were getting the alerts that around noon and around midnight yes. was when the tide was coming in. They're yes. worried it would. Yeah, I remember Melissa Bailey from the Independent was hanging out there with you guys one of those. Yeah, nights. yeah, it was it was wild. Um, so there were so many of us that were not in firehouses that were assigned, and they housed us at Nathan Hill School on Townsend. Yep, I'm and, the same one. Yeah, and we spent the entire day in full gear. I mean, full gear. Like so yeah, this heavy the stuff. Cold, right? Yeah our helmets, you know, for falling trees and, you know, what have you. And we knocked on every single door in Morris Cove all day long. So Make sure people are okay. Yeah. Hi, you know, we need you to evacuate. You know, you just need to know that, you know, if you have some sort of emergency, our response times are going to be extended because of the storm. And it was amazing how many people were just like, yeah, no, we're going to stay and tough it out. And I'm like, wow. That is definitely the cove. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And in the end, am I right? That the way I remember it is that everything was about timing. You never knew when the storm was going to move, the eye of the storm. And, yeah. the, and the key moment was that midnight when you're all Nathan Hale and high tide was coming and the storm moved just before that so that you ended mm-hmm. up not having the major flooding. Yeah, it was amazing. We had the National Guard with us. Mm-hmm. Um, they drove us around, you know, during the worst parts of the storm. Um, there were, you know, we had, you know, cots set up and, you know, food was brought in. It was an entire production. But you felt like something important. Did you feel like part, did you have a purpose? You were part of something that mattered? Oh, absolutely. We're talking about that with Erica Bogan, New Haven firefighter, who just ended a, a successful and long career on WNHHFM, broadcast 103.5 FM from New Haven, Connecticut, um, and also stream, live streamed at newhavenindependent.org. Yeah, we just did our FCC duty. And um, <laughs> we got a few more minutes here with Erica Bogan. What about um, what it was like to be black and female in that department as times changed? You had the uh, landmark Supreme Court case by white officers, except for one was Latino, against promotions that sometimes would try to make sure there were people of color who were promoted. This was the Richie versus Stefano case. It went to the Supreme Court, and it changed the way American mm-hmm. government was allowed to hire and, and promote people. Mm-hmm. What do you remember from that period? What was it like to be a fighter fighter at that time? It was tough. It was really tough because people were so divided, you know, and I suppose understandably so. Um, But being a black female on the job is never without its challenges. Um, You have people, um, not necessarily coworkers per se, but the public perception of 
you know, females on the job is generally not good. Is the idea they're not going to be able to help as much as the guy? Exactly. Exactly. But women on the job have such a vital role. They really, really do. When when you have um, a child who needs comforting, you know, women have that, you know, that special touch, so to speak. You know, they have that nurturing quality that could, you know, draw the child to you so we can achieve the desired result. Whether it's, you know, I need to bandage something, I need to take a blood pressure, I need to listen to the child's lungs, I know how to, you know, tweak it and finesse it to get the child, you know, like, okay, this is okay. And then what happened with the tensions during which you did ever play out in the firehouse at a fire? What was it like to come to work and people knew the whole nation was watching you about whether rules would change to help minorities advance? Yeah, it was tense. Um, I chose to um, keep my views and opinions to myself. Uh, because for me, the workplace isn't a place to, you know, to argue and fight and, you know, be at odds with one another. Because at the end of everything, once the bell hits and you have to go out, it doesn't matter what your differences are. It doesn't matter if you don't like, you know, Bill or Tom or Dan or Dave. It doesn't matter. All that matters is that, you know, you're sent on a call, you have an objective, and, you know, how are we going to mitigate this, you know, as safely and quickly as possible. Do you remember any incidents where anything said or written or notes left or? No, no. Thankfully, thankfully, you know, I wasn't in the fray, you know, of all of that. So what was amazing to me was the story Maya McFadden did with you recently, where it was about two months ago, was it? Where you had the entire, for Juneteenth, you folks printed up Black Lives Matter t-shirts and the entire fire department wore them. Oh, yeah. I was thinking, yeah. wait, what did I miss? Like, you know, sort of like you had Richie and I think it was 2009, right? Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden in 2022, the entire fire department is happily wearing Black Lives Matters t-shirts on the job and posing for pictures together. What was that all about? You know, I just want to, Michael, I'm just so, when I think about where I started on this job and, you know, the the social climate on the job in New Haven, was to where it is now, I have to say, I am like so incredibly proud of my coworkers. I really, I really, really am. Um, I think that at some point people have to realize, or maybe they did realize that we're stronger together, you know, than divided. I mean, how did you watch it happen? Like in 29, you would not have had people wearing those t-shirts. No, probably not. So what happened when they did a different kind of department? Is just America's changing on the ground, despite what you hear on TV? I suppose so. I think that, um, I think that things started to really change when the hiring changed and when, um, organizations like, um, the Firebirds really fought for, um, our, our ranks. So to be more reflective of the city that we serve. Firebirds Association of Black Firefighters, Gary Tinney's running for a long time. Were you active in that? Yes. And was party mission recruiting people to apply and then help them also be able to do well on tests? Yes. But also to create um, an atmosphere of fairness and just a level of playing field so that everyone had an opportunity. And so the department has diversified. Yes, yes. It, it's amazing, the diversity that they have now. My favorite thing you folks have done, besides all, like you do a lot of charity work. You do a lot on holidays. You bring food to people and you have gatherings. Mm-hmm. You also have a program started at Hill House High School, your alma mater, where you get people started on career tracks to go into public safety, correct? So that they, when they're done with high school, they got to start on getting the credentials they need. I did participate with um, Bill Garrity 
um, he and Gary Tinney worked together to um, create an academy in um, <clears throat> in public school in um, at Hill House, so that kids could, you know, kids that were interested could, you know, take EMT classes and then, you know, graduate, you know, as actual EMTs. Um, so I did, you know, some community work with him. Um, my favorite, people always ask me very, very often what my favorite part of the job is. Yeah, what was the favorite part? Two things, delivering babies. <laughs> right. Absolutely. That's the absolute best part of my job. Only second to all of the community service. So all of the career days, you know, all of the community events. You know, I didn't have anybody like me back in the 90s telling me that I could do this job. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for, you know, little kids everywhere, you know, I don't care what color you are. If I can positively influence them or if I could have positively influenced them so they, you know, really looked at me and really grasped, you know, what I wish I had grasped when I was 18, like, wow. You know, if she does it, you know, I can really do this job. You know, so if I can influence one child to, you know, go after, you know, what I went after all those years ago, then my job is done and I'm happy. Are you going to be, what are your next steps, Erica? Are you going to be doing any of that? What are you going to do next with your life now that you're not going to be three days on, three days off, <laughs> afternoon, overnight? I know. I would love to continue, you know, community service. That's never been a question because I feel like unto, unto whom much is given, much is required. This job has given me so much, you know, so much um, knowledge, so much experience, um, whether good, bad, ugly, or indifferent, you just take it all. Um, I've made so many great friendships, so many great, you know, work, you know, relationships. And, you know, you have to give back. You cannot, I don't understand how you could be in this, you know, career and not want to give back, you know, beyond, you know, your, your shifts. How many babies did you learn? Seven. Seven? Mm-hmm. Any one story stick out? Yes. Tell me. There was one in the hill. I was with um, Phil Gonzalez, Doug Wardlaw, and Captain Tom Hines. And we got a call for a maternity, and it was on a street directly behind the firehouse. So, so Sherbert Square. Um, like at Edgar Street. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we jump in the engine, and, you know, we go around the corner. And, of course, my coworker's like, okay, E, go ahead. Go, ahead. go, go check it out. <laughs> like, like, all right, no problem. So we walk into this bedroom, and there's a young lady, and she's, I don't know if I could say this or should say this, but she's lit- she literally has no clothes on. And I'm like, okay, guys, just hold on. Just give us some privacy and let me, you know, figure out what's going on. So I'm asking her questions, and I'm like, okay, well, let me check you for crowning. And that means the top the baby's head is coming out. Exactly. So, you know, she lets me check and the baby's head is literally right there. Oh my goodness. Like I, I out can, all I, the whole head. Not not the whole head, but but maybe about about this much. Oh my goodness. And I can see hair. And I'm like, okay, because you have to assess whether you're going to rapidly transport or whether you're gonna have the baby right there. <laughs> so I'm like, all right guys, we're gonna have this baby right here. So, you know, I just had them, you know, pass me what I needed, you know. What'd you need? I needed the OB kit. Every um every piece of apparatus in the city has an um, obstetrics kit, and it has everything that you need to deliver a baby. So you know the syringe to syringe out the baby's nose and mouth. Um, it has a scalpel to cut the umbilical cord. Um, it has um, ties to tie the umbilical cord. It has a plastic bag for the um, afterbirth for pathology, um, and like sort of like a like a a makeshift blanket. So what happened? So we had the baby right there. 
she pitched, I catched, we wrapped the baby up. I made coats are like push, push. Oh yeah. Yeah. Because you know, when, when you put your hand on a pregnant woman's stomach, you can feel the contractions. So I'm like, okay, when we feel this next, next contraction, I want you to bear down and I want you to push. And that's exactly what she did. And you got the baby out safely. Oh yeah. What did that feel like when you had the baby in the arms? Did you have the baby in the arms? Yes. Absolutely joyful. Because there's always those moments when you're like, okay, we're in the field. If something goes wrong, then what? You know, that kind of thing. But, you know, as soon as I heard the baby cry, I'm like, oh, thank God. Like, so excited. So excited. But the next day, I get a phone call at work from um, a doctor at Yale. And, you know, it's like, Erica, you know, business phone. And I'm like, firefighter Bogan. And they're like, oh, hi, this is Dr. So-and-so at Yale. And immediately the hairs on the back of my neck stood up because I'm like, oh, my God, did something happen with this baby? What's going on? And they were like, oh, no, we just needed the correct spelling of your name because, you know, you're you're going on the baby's birth certificate as the attending physician. I'm like, oh, my God, that's amazing. And it was so good. After all, remember, you were so good. Up yeah. Attending in, physician. in a roundabout way, I did. <laughs> and we ended up taking up a collection amongst the firehouse and we got her and the baby um, like a baby gift basket. So that was good, too. Do you know the kid to this day? I don't, but at this point, she's a teenager. Okay, so when was this? Like around two thousand or? Yeah, like okay. two thousand four, five, six. Eric Bogan, two thousand six. What a um, what a treat to ch- to chat with you. Congratulations on a great quarter century public safety Thank career. You. I look forward to seeing what you can do next. I know you're always in the public eye because you're always doing that service work. Absolutely. We all know who Erica is. Thanks for coming on Dateline New Haven. I wish you Thank the, you the for next adventure. Me. Thank you. All right. Thanks for listening today, folks. Thanks to Harry Dross behind the controls, the best station manager in the business. We're going to take it out with the Afro-Semitic experience performing I Wish I Knew How It Would Feel to Be Free from the group CD, A Plea for Peace. This is Paul Bass inviting you to fly free with us all day and all night at WNHH, New Haven's home for community radio. (laughs) 